0: Welcome to Turn On The Lights. I'm Jay Armate, And I'm Don Berwick. With Turn On The Lights, we put a spotlight on ways to improve the healthcare system in the U.S.
1: Thanks for listening. Poverty is really bad for your health. Right outside the doors of many hospitals and clinics, neighborhoods around the United States suffer from unemployment, homelessness, hunger, and hopelessness. People there live sicker and they die younger, mostly not because they're missing health care, but because they're trapped in social circumstances that cause illness. Nearly 50% of health outcomes come from social, environmental, and economic factors. Health care, by comparison, is puny. It accounts for only 10% of our health. That's important, but the big influences are environmental. That means that your income and your zip code are much better predictors of your health than the quality of care you receive. With respect to health, in other words, to a large extent where you live determines if you live.
0: Our guest today is on a mission to change that, and he thinks he has part of the answer as to how, use the economic power and presence of hospitals to invest in their local communities. David Zuckerman is the president and founder of the Healthcare Anchor Network. The Anchor Network gets hospitals to intentionally leverage their purchasing, hiring, and investing power to improve community health and well-being. To date, the Healthcare Anchor Network has partnered with over 70 Anchor Health Systems, which together employ more than 2 million people, purchase $100 billion annually, and invest over $200
1: billion in assets in local communities. David's been invited by the World Health Organization, the American Hospital Association, and the National Academy of Medicine to promote the Anchor Mission Movement, and he's written a ton about it. We invited David to tell us more about the Healthcare Anchor Network, and is there really hope that we can move upstream to where health is actually made, communities? Welcome, David Zuckerman, to Turn on the Lights. We're delighted to have you with us. If you don't mind, why don't we start where you are heading up the Healthcare Anchor Network? Could you just explain to our audience a little bit about what that is and what you do?
2: Sure, and it's a real pleasure to be here again. My, my name is David Stockman. I'm just really delighted to be joining you guys today, and I'm based out of Washington, D.C. I'm president and founder of the Healthcare Anchor Network, and we're a national nonprofit that works with health systems to help them think differently about their role in the community, particularly around how they can create more uh, equitable local economies, how they can be an engine for prosperity and improve people's financial security, and really address some of the inequities that have concentrated in place for too long. Uh, We work with health systems across the country to help them think through their strategies and help them understand how it connects to their broader goals to improve community health and being and really, the conversation around health equity that we're seeing take off nationally.
1: So, David, when you say healthcare system, you mean what hospitals, doctor groups, or who's included in that category?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. We primarily work with providers. So, healthcare systems, mostly nonprofit healthcare systems, as you both know, nonprofit healthcare systems make up about 60% of providers in the country. We also work with a number of public. So local government owned health systems that make up another about 20 percent. And we haven't to date worked with any for profit providers, mostly focused on the nonprofit and public hospital systems that are really the big building at the end of the street that people think of when they think of the hospital.
1: So hospital for most people means a place you go when you're sick and you need to be helped. What are you asking hospitals to do now beyond just taking care of uh, people that show up at their door?
2: Yeah, an interesting thing has occurred in our country over the last 40 to 50 years where healthcare systems have become the major employers in their communities. And this is something that has become known as something called the Eds and Meds because universities have as well. And it's a shift that's occurred in who really helps ensure that we have thriving communities and local economies. Some of your listeners may be able to think of a time when there was a for-profit business that picked up and left the community and decimated a the community. They might have moved to a different city for in order to avoid paying higher wages or or whatnot. And as a result, um, as we poured more money into healthcare nationally, health systems and hospitals have continued to grow in terms of their employment bases, and we don't think of them as economic engines or. Entities that create good paying jobs, but they are, and really, actually, in this moment of time, they're one of the best ways to create middle class paying jobs. Especially if we think more intentionally about the pipelines into those entry level positions and then how people can move up over time. And so, we're asking our health systems to recognize that they are important economic engines and they have a role and responsibility to play um, in their communities in a different way. And conversation also really plays off of the one that you had with Dr. Alistair Martin, where he talks about the causes of the causes. And so we're asking our health systems to think about another way they can begin to tackle those causes of the causes. So not just necessarily writing a prescription for somebody for healthy food or helping provide a subsidy for transportation, but why do people in our communities not have the resources to pay for their own transportation? not have the resources to pay for healthy food, and how in the course of everyday business, when you hire people, when you purchase goods and services, when you think about your investments, can you be chipping away at some of those structural determinants of health further upstream? And so I think in that way, it's it's a shift in mindset. It really is. But for those health systems that are understanding the many issues that come together to create inequality and health inequities in our communities, there is an aha moment that says, oh, this makes sense. We have to do this anyway. Why don't we think how we do it?
0: David, can you, give, can you get a little more specific here about what a hospital as an anchor or a health system as an anchor concretely does in its community? How does it act differently? What types of things does it do differently? What makes a health system an anchor in a community versus one that isn't? Sure. Not to get too much lost in the jargon, and maybe if we were developing this language
2: today, we would have chosen these words, but this is where we're at in terms of the language we use around this work. So I'm going to just draw a quick distinction, which is that uh, health systems, along with other nonprofit or public institutions that are large employers that have this social mission, so they're not a for-profit entity, they have a nonprofit or public mission, that are unlikely to pick up and leave their communities. Those are what we describe as an anchor institution. We look at those actors and we say, you're here for the long term and you have this social mission and you have a huge impact on this community. Let's acknowledge those things and let's bring intention to how we can leverage that position for greater social impact. And really, how do we get at addressing those root causes of poor health, the racial and economic inequities that are deep seated in neighborhoods and deep seated in place? Mm -hmm. And begin to think about how through your hiring power. So, for example, you have to hire a lot of people. And right now we know there's a huge challenge in healthcare workforce. How about we just bring some intention to that process and say, can we actually target specific neighborhoods, work with specific community-based organizations, and ensure that we are leveraging workforce dollars that exist in our local communities that are often disconnected from the large employers? So a lot of this is simply how do we get healthcare at the table in a different way and more plugged into our different uh, systems, publicly resourced systems around workforce development so that we're building an intentional pipeline, there are jobs at the end of it, it meets our employers' needs, but it's also beginning to create an economic opportunity pathway for folks in these communities. So you're talking...
0: You're talking about building capability in communities that have been historically marginalized, places that have been left out of the hiring process. You're saying hospitals use your, it's often thousands of jobs, use your hiring capability to hire from communities that have been historically under-resourced, disenfranchised, marginalized, whatever phrase you want to use, but finding people from those communities, building their skills so that they're ready for those jobs when they become available. And that's a way of investing differently in the community. Yeah,
2: we, we know that a good paying job is the best medicine you can give somebody mm-hmm. and that no amount of social programs will be able to meaningfully address. And we won't have the resources to, to solve everybody's individual health, social drivers that impact their poor health, such as why they can't get their prescription filled or why they can't get healthy food. Mm-hmm. The best thing we can do is help empower people in communities. To have the financial security and economic agency and healthcare system, you hire a lot of people, why not connect the dots? So that's one example. And then a second example is around the purchasing power. In the same way, they buy a lot of goods and services. So can they think about buying from local businesses, particularly diverse businesses that have been underutilized or from other businesses that have a greater social impact. So let me, I'll just give you a brief example about this. In Cleveland, the Cleveland Clinic and University Hospitals came together with a number of other actors to say, okay, we can create local businesses that will allow our employees to not only have a good paying job in health insurance, but own a piece of the business. And we're gonna do that in specific communities where there's high unemployment, and we're actually also going to allow this to be an opportunity for those that have criminal convictions to get a second chance at employment. You're going to create businesses, you said. Yeah. Create businesses, yeah. Like what? So, for ex- in this example, one of the big issues in healthcare is the linen supply chain. So, a lot of communities struggle. With actually cleaning the sheets and um, other materials in the hospital, because that part of the supply chain for a variety of reasons is weak. And so they saw an opportunity where they said, we actually need a more stable provider that can still provide this at the the cost and quality we expect, so without passing on costs to our patients. But if we work together collaboratively with other actors in our community, we can also ensure that this business has, a social impact. And fast forward 10 years, this project started around 2007, 2008, and it's called uh, the Evergreen Cooperatives. And now it does the entire laundry for the Cleveland Clinic. And this wasn't a charity decision. This actually was a business decision at the end of the day, because they needed greater reliability in this part of their supply chain. But they also had the vision to see that this could be a huge way to create good paying jobs in the community. And begin to help folks in those communities break the cycle of poverty. This business actually hires from the neighborhoods that are a ring around university hospitals and Cleveland Clinic, which have the lowest life expectancy of any neighborhoods in the entire county. So, when we get back to that conversation around why do we do this, it's because the traditional strategies for improving quality of life over the lifespan, as well as longevity in terms of life expectancy, the neighborhoods just next door to these world-renowned institutions have the lowest
1: life expectancy in the county. And so, so it's hiring from such communities, then leveraging the supply chain, even building businesses. What else? What are some other examples of this activities in an anchor hospital?
2: Yeah, the last one is around investments. You guys talk a lot about the unique elements of American health care on this podcast, and one of those is the way we finance hospitals. And as a result, uh, health systems have to hold these large reserves. And maybe you can think about how we as individuals have retirement accounts, right? We're saving money long-term and we leverage against them maybe for are buying a house because we don't have enough money in the bank. And in those ways, health systems do that to build new hospitals, make sure they have good bond ratings, et cetera but all that money is invested on Wall Street. It's invested in stocks and bonds. Sometimes it's in private equity. And our, what we share with our, our health systems is actually there is a whole other system you could invest in where you can still get your money back, but you're going to have a community impact at the same time. And that's the community development finance ecosystem that exists in communities. So we tell them, How about you just carve out 1%, just redirect 1% of those investments you hold in traditional stocks and bonds, bring it from Wall Street back to Main Street, specifically into the neighborhoods that most need it. And most of those investments go to helping create different kinds of affordable housing. They also can provide critical dollars that maybe help bring a grocery store to a community. They might be providing dollars that help support diverse and small businesses, or maybe even a care facility. And we have examples of all of these around the country. And it's not about healthcare being a bank. It's around healthcare filling a gap in the market. And that gap exists because, frankly, we don't put a lot of attention towards addressing the needs of the lowest income people in our community.
0: David, where did this idea come from? So I, I'm curious about the history here of anchors, as we're calling them, I get the visual metaphor of an anchor, Perfect. it makes sense. But where did this come from? Is this from, did this originate in healthcare? Did this come from somewhere else? Where did this concept originate? Yeah, it's a great question. It
2: actually came from higher ed. Oftentimes, what's pointed to as one of the early examples of an anchor institution is the University of Philadelphia, uh, which is in West Philly. And really dates back to the 90s when there was a lot of safety issues around urban campuses. And the early days of it was around how can the university be an engine for changing the conditions of the communities it sits in. So that's where this idea lived for the 90s and the the 2000s. And then really the work of the organization that the Healthcare Anchor Network spun out of, the Democracy Collaborative, we said there's an opportunity for healthcare to think of itself in this way. And in many ways, it's a better fit for healthcare than it is for the higher ed sector. And it just so happened that it, it aligned with a couple of things that I think have helped healthcare see themselves in this way. One is the whole conversation around the social determinants of health, the work changing how community benefit is counted, this whole effort to begin to allow folks to count things around community health improvement things outside their four walls differently. This example of the evergreen cooperatives in Cleveland, Ohio, that I talked about, that really helped inspire people to what was possible. And so I think those things have helped and and just health system taking on this broadening mission of improving community health and being. So all of that, and plus our role saying, we think there's an opportunity here. And when I joined that organization, the Democracy Collaborative in 2012, really being asked to build out the strategy for healthcare, thinking of itself as an anchor institution. Fast forward 10 years, we're at this point where we have health systems across the country really embracing this, this model. It's still early days. I think the potential is we're only scratching the surface, but I think the potential is extremely significant.
1: How big is the healthcare anchoring network
2: now? We currently have 74 health systems participating, representing about 1,200 hospitals or about 40% of nonprofit healthcare. So we've come a long way from 10 co-founding members, which included prominent health systems like Kaiser Permanente and Trinity Health and Common Spirit Health and Rush. But we, yeah, so that's where we exist today and really touch almost every part of the country.
1: Cleveland Clinic's pretty big. It's a big institution. Can small the hospitals or health systems get into this or are they just too small to play?
2: Depends how you define small. I think Cleveland Clinic is large, but some of our smaller systems, I like to point to UMass Memorial Health. I think of them as a smaller health system. They're based out of Worcester, Massachusetts. They're the safety net for central Massachusetts. And I think they're a really powerful example of how actually a smaller institution can sometimes move faster with this work than a larger institution. And they took to heart this idea of investments that I talked about earlier. And they, one of the things we do at the Healthcare Anchor Network is we try to help articulate what is best practice in this area. If you wanna be the leading example of this work, what does that look like? And we do that by looking at our different members and saying, okay, this would be meaningful, but this would also be feasible for most of our systems to take on. And this is how you should measure it. So really trying to bring those different principles together into a strategy. And what we landed on was that you should allocate, you should take at least 1% of your investment portfolio and put it towards these types of projects locally. And they did that and they've asked, And for that system, it's only $4 million, but it's $4 million in new capital into relatively small communities through central Massachusetts. And they've put a lot of that, those dollars to work to support, for example, one project was to help finance what's called the Fitchburg Arts Community Housing. And that's going to be affordable housing for local artists. They also helped provide dollars to support those that are homeless in Worcester to get tiny housing. So they've been able to partner with others to do this work. And they've also taken on different activities around working with a local furniture producer to help expand the amount of dollars that they spend with that business, really towards this direction of, okay, we know that's gonna create more jobs and economic opportunity in our community, and that's why it's important. And we're not really changing what we do. We're still providing the core services around healthcare that our patients need.
0: David, why why 1%? It seems like such a low number. I'm just curious, you you mentioned it a few times in this conversation, and it it feels almost healthcare uh, might be afraid of investing in Main Street moving, so let's leave 99% of it in Wall Street or wherever and divert only this relatively thin sliver of our investment portfolio over to this. Uh, Why such a small amount, and what's motivating that? Have you been successful in arguing for more in in certain cases to try to devote more? Because otherwise, we're leaving the incumbent to do what the incumbent has always done. We're only moving a very small amount of the, the resource towards a, a, a potential new trajectory here.
2: Yeah, it's a fair question. I think there's a couple of answers to that question. And the first is that, so this is a healthcare podcast and healthcare audience, but I think it's important to understand that there's this whole community development ecosystem that really isn't resourced that well. And if you put together All the resources that goes to community development versus healthcare, it's a mismatch, right? We're talking about two completely different scales, and when I tell people that if we ship just one percent of these reserves, we're talking about ten billion dollars into the community development finance system. That is a huge amount of money. As a result, we haven't really created local systems to receive those dollars. It's the same reason why health system goes and purchases from this large business because they say the
0: local business can't. Well, they haven't evolved that system because there hasn't been any money. So to me, this is a chicken and egg problem, right? If you, so if if we're saying that the system, community development organizations aren't ready to receive it, then we shouldn't spend it. I don't understand that argument. Help me sort this out. And shouldn't we be putting more money towards community development and therefore build the capacity of those organizations to receive more? We should. So one of the things is that we need to build the pipeline of investments
2: and that takes work. So part of it is, are you a catalyst for helping bring together the right players in your local community? And over time, are you piecing together the right set of projects? And actually that's one thing that we're doing right now in the Healthcare anchor Network, but we're working with just four of our members that have made these commitments to and another organization called the Center for Community Investment that helps people build pipelines to help them think about how they can not just put their own money to, to work, but how they as this really important actor in their community can bring together different players so that, yes, the system works better. I think one of the things that the, the co-founder for that organization, Robert Hackey, likes to say is that, there are technical challenges and there are adaptive challenges. Healthcare is used to technical challenges. How do you put it on the broken arm? How do you fix a broken arm? These are adaptive challenges. We're talking about multiple players in a large ecosystem and really trying to figure out the exact type of resource that is needed to piece together why this isn't working. And so it, it becomes a little bit intimidating to our health systems because one question might be like, is this really healthcare's role? And I say it is partly because you're a large employer. And frankly, if, to what Dr. Martin was saying, there is a piece here around advocating for more resources from the government, and that is important. But there's also a piece here about what do we ask of our largest institutions within our communities to be part of the solution? And it so happens that healthcare is one of those.
1: So, so let, let's deal. So we hear from say CEOs of hospitals today a lot of problems. They got workforce shortages. They're not pandemic ready. They have new payment systems they they're trying to adapt to. They're running deficits. It's a long litany of of stuff. Plus they're supposed to deal with decarbonization, with equity. So now you you walk into a CEO's office that isn't part of the anchor health network, a healthcare anchor network, and I, you must hear enough, I've got too much on my plate right now, I can't handle this. So what do you say? It sounded a little complicated.
2: Yeah, I think we say a couple of things. One is that first, this approach actually is, it it helps solve some of those goals that they have around sustainability, diversity, equity, inclusion, community health, and well-being. In many ways that we think about hiring, we're talking about hiring often from underserved communities of color, or helping to provide financial security in the process and we are helping to address some of the workforce shortages. So it is actually these strategies can solve multiple challenges that the systems have. I think some of the other things that you've discussed on this podcast, often the biggest barrier to getting started is inertia. It's we've done something the way we've always done it. And you're now telling me I need to go talk to these organizations about a pipeline. I'm just going to hope that the pool of applicants continues to be the pool of applicants. Part of it is that I would suggest that, especially in this moment of financial issues that healthcare is having are the ideas of, of being an anchor institution and this idea of the anchor mission actually are not about spending a lot of new money on new programs. It's about aligning the things you do each and every other, each and every day and simply asking yourself, what social impact can this activity have? And how can we partner with somebody that will probably actually bring a lot of resources to the problem, but what they don't have is the access and the information that you as a large employer have within
1: your community. Yeah, I'm hooked, as you may have heard in the podcast, on boards of trustees and governance. Okay. So when the anchor, when the Health Anchor Network gets involved with in a place, do you deal with, with the executives, with the physicians, and or with boards? Who, who has to take the ball here? Who takes the first step in your experience?
2: Yeah, it's a mix. I think there is the most important thing is finding that right champion at the executive level who gets it and then can be the navigator of the institution to begin to embed it over time. Uh, one really great example of this is Dr. David Ansel in Rush University System for Health in Chicago. He's really been this driving catalyst of ensuring that senior leadership is on board. It's elevated at the right level. Another Example is Dr. Doug Brown, the chief administrative officer at UMass Memorial. He's well positioned to ensure that this stays on, it stays at the conversation level for leadership, and is also on one of, on the board for the things that they track on a regular basis. But the board needs to be involved for this to be sustained long term. And what I find when I talk to our senior leaders when they finally bring it to the board is one of the biggest champions for this work? Because most of those folks are volunteers and they see the health system in a different way. They see the health system as this important civic actor within their communities. And it's a no brainer. Why wouldn't we show up in that way? Our, especially if our mission is expanding and we need to think about this work. Yeah, we have this responsibility. Let's do this. So I think boards can be some of the biggest supporters of this work. And we've seen trustees, really help drive some of this work forward, especially around the investments, which often requires a vote by the investment committee
0: of these boards to allocate
2: those dollars differently.
0: I can imagine that boards would be very eager, particularly because most hospital boards are at least composed of local community members or prominent community members or otherwise, that there would be a substantial desire for them to see the kind of investment that you're trying to drive into the local community. David, you mentioned a couple of times that your focus here is nonprofit or not for profit healthcare. I'm curious about two things. One, about the for profit delivery groups and why not those folks as well? And then, in addition to that, why not pharmaceutical businesses? There's uh, retail health, there's the Amazons, Walmarts of the world. There's a lot more to the health ecosystem now than nonprofit healthcare delivery alone, hospitals alone. So, curious about whether and, I, and if I think about the things that you've described, hiring practices, supply chain, investment portfolios, those apply just as much to biopharmaceutical companies as they do to a delivery organizations. So why not uh, ensure that Johnson uh, serves in an anchor capacity just as much as a nonprofit health system?
2: Yeah, I think it's a great question. And so what I like to say in response to that is that I think that corporate entities can adopt some of these strategies. My perspective is that this is less a question of good and bad. It's more a reflection of an organization that is a nonprofit or public entity should have more of a focus on the community than a for-profit entity. And it's more just a recognition that if we're gonna start somewhere in changing the expectations that we have for our largest community actors, that it makes sense to start with those organizations that should have this as part of their perspective. And they so happen to be very significant economic engines within their communities at the same time. I think there's an opportunity for healthcare to be a voice for driving this work and bring along some of those corporate actors and say, okay, this is important. We're focusing on these zip codes because this is what we're seeing as those communities with the greatest health disparities What can you do to help us in our goals here? In some of the cases there, some of these actors have been invited in to help with hiring pipelines. One of the things we talk about is, and this is something that Intermountain Healthcare did working with BDR, is they said, look, we are trying to focus on these specific zip codes for hiring. You're one of our largest vendors. Do you want to come alongside of us and also commit to hiring from these communities? And in that way, we are all pulling in the same direction. But I personally believe that we should lean on the organization that should have the most vested interest for the long term in a specific place. And when I look around, I see that as nonprofit healthcare, public healthcare, it's possible that for profit healthcare can get there. We haven't seen an interest in this work to date. And maybe we haven't engaged them enough. I would say that. It partly reflects the culture and priorities of those organizations.
0: But those organizations have similar interests, right? I guess my, I, just to the, the the 1% of the nonprofit healthcare institutions, not to say that nonprofit healthcare doesn't have uh, resources here in the piggy bank. Of course, it does, especially the bigger ones. Uh, but my goodness, the 1% opportunity for Pfizer yep. represents a massive, I mean, we're talking about not just billions, hundreds of billions, potentially, in dollars that could be invested in local communities. I just am curious, I mean, and they have the same kind of, among the three strategies that you described, they have an interest in hiring, they have an interest in supply, and they have plenty of supply chain challenges that they have to figure out as well. It seems very likely that they could be allies in the same kind of way, a civic Responsibility aside, you have a business responsibility. You're trying to make the business case for being involved here. Why wouldn't that business case apply just as well to for profit healthcare delivery or pharmaceutical sector or otherwise? I your, think that just to have it,
1: oh, go ahead. Um, yeah, your story about Intermountain and BDR is interesting because what Cato is imagining could it happen by nonprofit healthcare insisting or pulling the for profit supply chain into the activities you're talking about?
2: That's partly our hope. We definitely, one of the, we have this commitment in supply chain, and one of them is that our nonprofit health systems should, or those that have signed on to it, which at the moment, Healthcare Anchor Network, we invite for-profit healthcare to participate. They've chosen not to. And I think that what we see in that example is that they need to work with some of the large publicly traded vendors, so the Johnson & Johnsons of the world, and help them target their hiring in specific zip codes. I think for a lot of those businesses, they're place agnostic. This work is very place-based. And so it's not that they can't be part of these solutions, but that is for a global multinational organization, what really is place? And do we really have an emphasis on zip codes or specific communities? Or do we take a different approach? Uh, I also think that I agree that they should be part of the solution. I think, again, if we're going to address The massive inequality in our country that really is the root for why we have such poor health disparities. We need to have everybody pulling in the right direction. I definitely think we need to do more through government. And I also think we need to expect more from our largest institutions, and that is for profit and and public, and that they can be part of the solution as well in this work. It's just that question of who sets the table and actually keeps the focus on the long term and equity. We know that our one of the biggest issues with the S and P and businesses that are listed is the short term thinking. This is long term work. This isn't short term work, and and that's hard sometimes for some of our health systems.
0: But we push them on that, and they're slowly getting it. David, you mentioned something in in just your response there around regulatory and policy making. Are you helping your effort in any way, or are we seeing are you seeing effective regulation, or do you see possibility in the form of future? lawmaking that would aid in in your efforts to try to engage healthcare in, in what the Healthcare Anchor Network is trying to do? Yeah,
2: I appreciate you asking that question because I did want to mention something regarding that and I had skipped over it. So I'd say two things. One is actually one of the things we do within the Healthcare Anchor Network is we do help our health systems use their voice differently with their congressional representatives. And each year we've been doing a policy day the last five years to help our health systems advocate for increased support and funding for affordable housing as well as workforce development policies on the hill and what we find is that what we've heard from our senior the senior leaders at these organizations is that when they go into those meetings and they say we're not here to ask for more money we're actually here to tell you why we need you to invest more in housing and workforce development that it changes the tenor and the relationship between the congressional representative and those that are coming in from the house system one of the reasons this is really important is because we're not asking healthcare to come up with the agenda for affordable housing or for workforce development. We actually go to the tables of those that are focused on workforce development nationally and affordable housing nationally and say, what are your priorities and how can we help? And as a result, it's very different when, again, that largest employer walks into the room with the congressional representative than a small affordable housing organization. For better or for worse, that's the reality. And so having healthcare's voice in this way is, I think, really important. The other thing I will just note is that we hope to see more resources for this work at the federal level that will help health systems that are on this journey to do this work better. One program that actually got slipped into the CHIPS bill, the one that was supporting domestic manufacturing for semiconductors, is a a dollar program called uh, Recompete and it will support a number of projects in the stressed communities and actually notes anchor strategies and the role of health systems as one of those strategies that can apply for these grants in addition to just healthcare driving this we do talk about the the importance of multiple anchor institutions multiple hospitals universities
1: local governments
2: coming together to in the think the same about these strategies same, at
1: scale in the same community so in the
2: same about, community somebody.
1: yeah David, if one of our listeners is intrigued by what you're doing, as I am, and wants to, you know, let's say, if they serve on a hospital board or related to the healthcare system, or if they're just a member of the public at large, uh, how can they connect to the Healthcare Anchor Network? What are some of the bonding sites here?
2: Sure. So healthcareanchored.network, that's the website. And we have most of the resources we produce are free and widely available on the website. Lots of case studies explanation of the leadership commitments, et cetera. And if you're at a health system that isn't one of our members, you can reach out through the website and set up a conversation about what membership means in in being part of the conversation at the Healthcare Anchor Network. We also have some opportunities for non-health systems to participate in the conversation, mostly for other nonprofit and public actors, occasionally for-profit actors, If you're an individual, we don't have a a ton of opportunities directly through the Healthcare Anchor Network, but we do have a newsletter. And I think we send out a lot of interesting material around how health systems are supporting this in their communities around the country. And I think if you're someone engaged in your local community, I think you can start asking questions about what your health system is doing. And as much as we are pushing at the national level to have healthcare adopt this frame, I think there is a role for communities that ask for more. And I think what I is powerful about this strategy is what I think communities are inclined to ask for is grant dollars. We want you to fund this program or this project. And that is appropriate some of the time. But I think we have to acknowledge the financial challenges healthcare is having and say maybe actually there's another constructive ask we can have of our local healthcare institutions that is about bringing them along as partners and thinking differently about the future of our local community. And I think that's really what this conversation is about. So it's healthcareanchor.net, is that right?
1: network. So Healthcare Anchor Network and just put the period between okay. Anchor Network. Yeah, yeah, before we have to close here, David, a word about yourself. Why do you do this? Why is this important to you at a personal level? So I've always been uh, passionate about
2: social justice issues. It's uh, runs in my family that's been very politically active over the years. And I think for me, when I started to learn about this work um, back in college, I've always been involved in conversations, asking these big questions about how do we make systemic change in our society? But I often get stuck because I'm like, that doesn't sound practical to me. That doesn't sound like there's any path to seeing that as Reality, especially when we, especially in healthcare, right? We always compare ourselves to Sweden or Finland or even Canada. And I'm just like, what's the path? What is the path to actually bring those things that we love in those other health, in those other countries around their healthcare systems and the outcomes they get to the US? And I think it's the same here, which is why we want, I want to see a more equitable society. I think both of you do as well based on the conversations here. What is our path given the very unique contradictions that we hold here in this country. And I think this strategy really pulls at the best of what we value in the U.S. For communities, it's it's a question of equity. For others, it's a community-first mentality. And it really is this practical playbook of how do we give people a hand up through the things we do each and every day. Dr. Thea James at Boston Medical Center, I love her comment on this, she talks about how do we move from charity to to equity? Um, And it really isn't about how can we take, I think the mindset in the U.S. historically has been, okay, you go out and make your money and then you give a piece of it to philanthropy. And we somehow think that's going to fix all the problems that were created through the not ethical practices of making that money in the first place. And this is really a question of how in the course of doing business do we actually ensure that we're doing good at the same time And it just so happens to align with what healthcare's mission should be. And so I got really attracted to that as a practical way to address these challenges in
0: community and create systemic change at the same time. And that's why I do it. David, thank you so much for joining us here. Healthcareanchor.network. Please, listeners, check it out and you will not be disappointed. This is a very exciting way in which healthcare is rethinking itself and we thank you, David, for helping us understand it more deeply. David, you mentioned earlier that you listened to the podcast. Thank you for doing that. You'll know then as an avid listener, as it were, that uh, we ask a final question about, of all of our guests, about your relative optimism or pessimism at the moment as you look out into the landscape and you talk to health systems around the country, indeed around the world, what do you think? Are we heading in the right direction? Are we or not? How are you in the optimism and the pessimism spectrum?
2: I will have to say I'm an optimist. If people ask me that in my personal life, they probably would disagree. they probably say I'm a pessimist. But when I look at what's happening, I think what keeps me in this work is that when I go and talk to somebody and hear about the shift they made and the meaningful impact that has had in terms of getting somebody housed, getting them a good paying job, I can't, be anything but optimistic and feel that, okay, we can do this. We have everything we need. We're the richest country in the world. Uh, We have this changing expectation around what we want to see in our society. We have everything we need. We just need to put the puzzle together a little differently to get the outcomes that we want. And I'm, I'm a believer that has to come through intentional, systematic, but in some ways, incremental change. And I think we can do that together. So I'm an optimist.
0: David Zuckerman, everybody, thank you so much for joining us here on Turn On The Lights. Please check out healthcareanchor.network. David, once again, thank you. My pleasure, thank you so much for having me. The Turn on the Lights podcast is a production of the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. A huge thank you to Don Berwick for hosting with me, Kate Armate. Thank you also to our IHI colleagues, Stephen Waldron and Joanne Endo, our researchers, Bob, Jane, and Tej Patel, and to the Outcomes Rocket team. And of course, thanks to all of you, our listeners, for tuning in to us. Support for Turn on the Lights comes from the Rx Foundation, without whom this podcast would not be possible.
1: Thanks for listening to Turn on the Lights, where we're trying to shed light on the thorniest problems and the most innovative solutions in healthcare. We'd like to help you understand.
0: To listen to more episodes or find the show notes and other resources, please visit us at IHI.org. Thank you.